0: Well, it's good to have the opportunity to join your series on the uh, on the Holy Spirit and particularly around the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, I wanted to say something right at the very beginning. Uh, I listened to one or two of last week's message and and was very um, uh, pleased to hear that that what we're talking about when we're talking about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us is we're talking about what Jesus said when he said, if you love me, my Father and I will come and make our home in you. Now the truth is that the Holy Spirit comes into our lives in order to 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 dwell in us and be Father, Son and Holy Spirit in our lives. That's the truth. That's what has set the church on fire for 2,000 years. The fact that, that this is a supernatural indwelling of God in our lives. It's really important to get all of that. Once we start to, uh, if we make the mistake of thinking about all of this as natural and we try to bring the supernatural down to the natural, we make an awful mistake. Now now let let me try to make that plain just as we start because it really is important. For me to want to live my life the way I'd like to is natural. For me to die to that is unnatural. For Jesus to produce in me the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, is supernatural. Do you understand that? For me to, for me to, to be angry and hostile and resentful toward people, that's natural. For me to, to love them as Christ loved me, that's, that's unnatural. But for the Holy Spirit to be able to produce in me the love that Jesus has for me, that's supernatural. For, 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 for me to be a sinner, that's natural. For Jesus to die for, for my sin, that's unnatural. For him to rise from the dead and raise me from spiritual death to spiritual life, that's supernatural. So if a supernatural God who does supernatural things comes to live in us individually, and he comes to live in us as a church corporately, then, then for us, we are living an unnatural life because we are allowing Christ to live in us instead of ourselves to be in control. And God is doing something supernatural that is evidenced by our new birth, evidenced by the gifts that he's given to us, and evidenced by the fruit he's bearing in us. It's really important to understand that this is about Jesus. This is about the comforter, the, the, the helper, the, the advocate that Jesus said he would send to be, to be in us, to, to, to bring the life of the father and the son into our individual and personal lives. So we individually are meant to reflect who Jesus is, and that's what the fruit of the Spirit is about. As the Holy Spirit produces this fruit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience in our lives, then that's a supernatural act of God. And he deserves all the praise, and all the glory, and we should marvel at that every every day. But the other thing is that when he brings us together, he calls us his body. And he calls us his body in order that we continue to do the work of Christ on earth. He has left us to complete the task. We as the church are part of his redemptive plan. He has no other plan. His plan is that he'd raise up a body of believers across the world that he would give each individual believer a gift in order that corporately we might do the things he has put us in the world to do. We are living in a natural world, but we have a supernatural task. We cannot accomplish it ourselves. We can only accomplish it when we are empowered by the Spirit and enabled by the gifts he gives us now it's interesting to think about the church in the light of Ephesians 4 and i, I was thinking i want just imagine just, just imagine for a moment that you got a, a a communication from the elders during the week and they said we want you to clock into the service on sunday because we've got a letter from a very 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 um, important and famous person to read. And, and so you've come to hear what this letter from a famous person says. And the, the person is Paul. And he's writing a letter, in this case to the church in Ephesus, but, but it's as if he is writing it to the gathering of Christians that is called the Montmorency Community Church. It's writing to you. He's writing to us. He's saying, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Do you understand? There's a natural and the, the supernatural again, isn't it? We are in the natural. God has called us into him and he's come to live in us to Take us to a whole new level of life. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Hey, that, that's a bit unexpected. <laughs> You'd think if we were called to a supernatural task, we wouldn't have any faults. Well, we do. God has left it that way. Because dying to self and living to Christ is not just a decision, it's a process. And hopefully, we, because of the indwelling Holy Spirit, we are becoming more like Jesus each day. Hopefully, we're not just growing older, but we are growing in spiritual maturity. That He is dealing with those personality things and those behaviours and those painful thoughts that so often fill our lives and and he is is dealing with them. He's, He's allowing us to put them to death so that his life might be seen more and more in us. He says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit binding yourselves together with peace. It's a good encouragement to avoid at any cost, to avoid the things that would divide you. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, who is over all and in all and living through all. There's the supernatural again. God is unlimited. God is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. He is everywhere. He is in everything. But despite the fact that he is so mighty, so unlimited, So unshackled, he has chosen to give to each one of us a gift that we as part of his body on earth called to do the works of Christ might be what he intends us to be. Now he says down in um, in verse 11, he goes on with his letter and he says that he has given us these gifts and these are the gifts. Now in Romans and in Corinthians, he, he speaks about these gifts as separate gifts. And, and as Keith said last week, uh, they're not an exhaustive list of gifts, but in, in this passage, he does something a little bit different he puts the gifts under five headings. He says, These are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Now, why has he done this? I think he has done this for a very, very specific reason. Because here he is talking about how the church is meant to function and what the functions and the, the, the purposes of the church really are. He, is, he has set the church as his body on earth. He is the head. We are the members of that body. We are meant to be doing what Jesus did. We are meant to be continuing the, the ministry of building the kingdom, of being kingdom people as he was the king of kings. And so he reminds us that if you looked at him and his ministry and his life on earth, he, he fulfilled the, the role and the ministry of these five gifts. He was, in the very real sense, an apostle. Or, more truthfully, he was the apostle. He crossed the boundary from deity to humanity. He entered into the human condition. He, he, As a man crossed other boundaries, he went from Judea to Samaria. He went from preaching to Jews to preach to Samaritans. He preached to Greeks. He took every opportunity he could to to extend the ministry and the influence of the kingdom of God. That's the apostolic work of Christ and that's the apostolic work of the church. And he has given to the church people with an apostolic gift. They're not called apostles. They have an apostolic gifting and that apostolic gifting is a gifting of leadership. It's a gifting of vision. It's a gifting of Planting churches, it's the gifting of, of mission involvement. It's the, it's a gift of, of, of leading others. And every church, if it's going to do what Jesus did and asked us to do, must have amongst its number, those who are, are Gifted in this way, I have sometimes heard my wife Julia explain to people how difficult it is to be married to a visionary. She said he has visions morning, night, and afternoon, and they're not dreams that are, that I have. That they are they are things that. God puts in my heart and my mind and I think about it and I often say to her, you you don't need to worry, dear, because only 99, 99% of what I have visions about <laughs> I'm not likely to ever do, but hopefully someone else will. And that's the gift of visionary. The visionary in your church is going to dream the dreams of what God could do with your fellowship in your city. It's going to know how to cross the boundaries between what you do now and what you might do in the future. Knows how to inspire others. Knows how to lead others. Knows how to share what God is saying to the church today about our ministry. The tragic thing about any church is that we are still doing the same thing today as we were 10 years ago. What that suggests is that we're not listening to the people in our church that have been given the the apostolic gift. And then he says there is another area, and that's the prophetic. The prophetic. Now, look at Jesus. Look at his ministry. Did he just simply uh, preach to the, the the crowds? Well, he did that, and he did it well. Did he, did he heal the sick? Yes, he did. Did he raise, raise people to life? Yes, he did. Did he cleanse lepers? Yes, he did. Did he cast out demons? Yes, he did. But he did something else. He confronted kings. He confronted religious leaders. He spoke into social issues. He provided leadership when it came to the way we should treat the disenfranchised, and the poor. And that is what the church is called to do. Still, we have the word of God, but we must be speaking the word of God into those places. Now, there are some of us, some people in the church, who have been given the gift of doing that. Your training, your gift has been strengthened by your training and your experience and you know how to lead. You know how to cross boundaries. God has equipped you to do that. He's equipped you to speak authoritatively and powerfully into the social issues in our world. He is. He's given you the capacity to change life for the poor and the disenfranchised. Think about the things that the church has done over the years the church generally has done. Think of those who right now, while we're sitting here, are ministering to the homeless. I think of people in Sekilda who are ministering to the women in the street, the, the women who work the streets. I think I think of people who've gone into mission situations as professionals and have spoken into leadership and into governance. I think of one lady that we love dearly. She's retired now, but she, she went she went to um, to Iran, and while she was in Iran, she discovered that the prison that the prisoners in jail were confined to their cells because the outer walls of the prison were breaking down and they couldn't let the prisoners out of their cells or they would escape. So what does she do? Because she has the gift of a a prophetic gift, she goes into the jail and she speaks to the jail, the, 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 the governor. And she talks to him about... If she was to raise the money to rebuild the outer walls, would that mean the prisoners could get out and do exercise in the yards? He agreed. She went to the, the political leaders and she spoke into their lives as well. And then she came back to Australia and spoke into the life of her local church and raised the money to build the walls. That's why we need prophetic people in the church. That is what the prophetic is about. It is speaking truth, God's truth, into seats of power, into social change, into shifting um, the poverty cycle that so many people are imprisoned in. And then Paul says that there is the gift of the evangelist. Well, there was no greater evangelist than Jesus. But he wasn't the, the big mass evangelist with a big microphone or the television show. He, he went to people. He went to people. He went to all sorts of people. Demon-possessed people. Widows the poor, the lepers. He went to them all and he spoke to them about his father. He introduced them to the father's love. He transformed their lives. I've just been reading and and writing in this last couple of days about Jesus' burial. And who were the two men who came to 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 bury him his body? Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a teacher of the law to whom, into whose life Jesus spoke. Joseph of Arimathea was the husband of a lady who had followed Jesus almost from the very beginning. These people were the fruit of Jesus' evangelism. The church is called to evangelism. You know, my heart aches when I hear people describing a church as, oh, that's an evangelical church. Because you know what they mean? They're talking about theology. They're saying, this church believes what the Bible says, therefore they're an evangelical church. No, they're not. They're not an evangelical church because they believe the Bible. They're an evangelical church if they are evangelizing. Some years ago I was involved in a survey that was taken in Melbourne of churches who believe and practice believers' baptism. And you know of all the churches in Melbourne, the average number of people who were baptized was less than one per church. How can we call ourselves an evangelical church if we're not doing evangelism. Now there are people in our churches who God has given the gift of evangelists. And they're the people that are sometimes sitting in church on a Sunday morning saying, you know, I shouldn't really be here. I should be down at the farmer's market. <laughs> I should be sharing the gospel with people. I can't help it. And I, I have the feeling that in many churches... The people with the gift of evangelist are not encouraged and not released into their ministry. I think sometimes they feel like they are walled in, that the life of the church does not allow them to be evangelists and if they were and they kept bringing people to the church, the people would... Would perhaps not get the, the encouragement and the nurture that they should. Every church. It's God's supernatural purpose to add to every church those who are saved. That's his purpose. That is what he intends the purpose of the church to be. Apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, working through the gifts that the people in the church have brought to the body. I remember in the church of Berwick, Church of Christ, some years ago, we we had a lady from Iran who came to the Lord. She came to Alpha and she did Alpha and, and she became a Christian and very much on fire. And then uh, the next alpha came around and we had the 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 introductory dinner where people could invite their friends. Then she brought 15 friends to the introductory dinner. Many of them went on and did the chorus and some of them became Christians. You see, you see, a church is not being Christ in the world if we are not winning people into the kingdom. You say, but it's not easy these days. No, it's not. But don't say that to a person with the gift of evangelist because they believe it it might not be easy, but it's a passion for them and it's possible for them and they need to be encouraged. And then The the fourth area that uh, he mentions is pastor. Pastor. Now, in modern church life, we tend to think of that as a professional, theologically trained person. But Jesus was essentially a pastor. What did he do as a pastor? Well, he had a, a group of people who followed him and and a group of people into to, who, who he trained and he equipped and he encouraged and he exposed to practical experiences so that they would one day be the apostles that would plant the church. He pastored them. He had a pastor's heart. He cared for people who had needs. That beautiful picture of him on on the cross in the darkest hour of his life and he looks down right at the foot of the cross and there's his mum. There's his mum. And his auntie too. And John, his friend. And he says to his mum, 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 Behold your son. Well, she was. She was beholding her son. She was beholding her son on a cross. Her heart was breaking. But as a pastor, he was saying, the man beside you, this good man beside you, he will go on and be your son, even when I'm gone. And son, behold your mother care for her, love her. Aren't you glad there are people in your church with the gift of pastor? Those caring, loving people, why are they there? In order that the gathering of Christians at Montmorency might do the work of Jesus. They're there like those who have the prophetic and the apostolic and the evangelistic, they are there to do the work of Christ. And then the fifth area that he talks about is teacher. How his disciples love to call him teacher. Because nobody taught them like him. But it wasn't only, it wasn't only the words he spoke. It wasn't only the actions that he did, the signs, the miracles. It was it was his connection with the Father. He had this beautiful connection with the Father, and and he radiated the presence of God. Sometimes they didn't see that. Even Philip said that he still wanted to see God, even after he'd known Jesus for two and a half years. And Jesus said to him, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What you've marveled at in me is really what God is like. Now, teachers are not just people who are theologically capable. Some of us have been put in the church with the gift of teaching because we will reflect into that church what people need to know about the Father. I remember a long, long time ago when I first became a pastor. I'd been a Christian for just over two years. And I was sent out to pastor a Methodist church in Heathcote, in Victoria. And uh, it was a church that had five preaching places. So every Sunday I preached four times and every second Sunday I preached five times, traveling around to all these little country churches. And during the week, on a Tuesday, I would go to all those same places and teach RI in schools. So on Tuesday night I would go to a lady's place for dinner. She insisted on it. She was an elderly lady. I was twenty, nineteen and a half, and she taught me. She taught me about history and the importance of history. She taught me about the love of the Father. She taught me about commitment. She taught me about reliability and dependability. She taught me so many things, but I don't think she's ever conducted a Bible class or ever preached a sermon, but she was a demonstration of who God was. In the same church, there was another lady who knew her Bible back to front. She quoted verses of scripture like a computer. But she was an angry person, controlling and powerful. You see, the gift of teaching is about what we reflect what we change, what message of change we teach day by day. So, so here is Jesus saying, I, I want every individual Christian to be a reflection of me in the world so I have given them the Holy Spirit so that they might bear in their lives the fruit of the Spirit and therefore be like me. But he's also saying, but I'm going to bring these individuals together into one body of which I am the head, and I am going to give them the gifts that the Holy Spirit will give them in their lives, so that as a church, they might do what I do. They may be kingdom people in a world of darkness. They may be the my body at work in the world. And don't be surprised if when he does that, things you have never ever seen or dreamt of before actually happen. Because you see, We're dealing here with a supernatural God and he has always worked in the world in supernatural ways and if we as the church are gifted with these gifts, they are in order for us to be the supernatural force in a natural world. That's why in some of Paul's letters, he was sad about the church. There was a time when he wrote to the church at Corinth and he expressed his sadness about the church and he said, I, I, I'm so sad that you've, you've, you've gone down these tracks, that you've, you've, you've sinned, you've got away from the truth, you've, You've allowed divisions in your church. You're following preachers, and rather than them centralizing Jesus. And on another occasion, he writes to the Galatian church, and he says, "I'm I'm really sorry that you've got yourself all caught up in legalism again. Then you're starting to preach circumcision instead of just baptism." He was often disappointing, and he often gave warnings about. Living the life of Christ in the world and, and dying to the things that would cause conflict. And I think he would be sad about church, some churches today as well. Sad when there's division. Sad when, when our personal opinions become the thing we're prepared to die for instead of the truth of Christ. I think he's saddened when when church is about us and, and we go to the church we can get the most out of rather than the church that God has put us in because we have a particular gift to exercise for the good of that group of people. You see, it's all about his body. He says it's so the body will grow into maturity. He says it's in order that you will live together in unity. He's already told his disciples that they would be known as his disciples because of their love for one another. So disunity, division, self-centeredness, self-absorption, Amongst Christians is is the natural. But living in Christ, allowing the Holy Spirit to produce His fruit in us, and allowing Him to empower us with with the gifts He has given to us, that is the supernatural. And that, brothers and sisters, is to what we are called. I want to finish with a humorous little story if I can. A new pastor came to a church. He preached his first sermon. Preached a sermon about the Holy Spirit. And as the people were coming out of church and he was shaking their hand, a lady looked at him with real concern in her eyes. She said, Pastor, I hope nothing supernatural is going to happen in this church. (laughs) (laughs) You'd miss the point, really. Conversion, as Keith told us last week, the miracle of conversion is a supernatural act. To be born again is supernatural. But it's just as supernatural to be filled with the Spirit. It's just as supernatural to pray with power and authority. It's just as supernatural to teach and reflect the goodness and greatness of God. It's just as supernatural to be a light in a dark world as you folks are called to be in, in Montmorency. God bless you as you think about these things and, and, and may he continue to, to open up your heart to the reality of God in you, the hope of glory. Amen.